us go into the house of the Lord. Amen. There is no better place to be on Sunday morning than to be in church. So you've done well to be in this place. Amen. Last week we were celebrating, we partook of the Holy Communion, and we were celebrating our covenant with God. And I shared mainly about two words, that whole message. Mainly we were looking at the forgiveness of our sins, and we also looked at our redemption. And I told you that when the Bible says we have been redeemed, it means we have been rescued. Colossians 1.13 puts it more better. It says, thank him who has rescued you from the power of darkness and translated you into his dear son, the kingdom of his dear son. So if you have been rescued, it means there was a time when the devil could do with you whatever he wanted. I told some of you last week that I wonder why the devil didn't kill me when he still could. Because there was a time when I was at his disposal before I was redeemed. That's what happens when people are captured. If you hear people being held hostage, it means your hostage taker can do with you whatever they want. But now I've been rescued. Can you tell your neighbor, now I've been rescued. So it means the devil cannot kill me through sickness. He cannot kill me through accident. He cannot kill me in any way. Yeah. I will have to depart like Paul who says the time of my departure is at hand. I have completed my course. I have finished the race. Amen. So there should come a time when you know I've finished my race. I've completed my course. So actually Jesus even says this. He says the evil one comes but he has got nothing in me. I lay down my life. So, and he said, if I didn't want, you remember the story when they were coming to capture him? He said, if I didn't want to die, I could have called on my father and he would have dispatched legions of angels to come and protect me. But I'm deciding to lay down my life. So that is what I'm calling redemption, meaning I've been rescued from the tyrannical rule of the devil. But the second word that's closely linked to that is the word justification. So that word to be justified means it's as if you have never sinned. <laughs> so it's almost like, you know, there was this story. I don't forget that story. I think it was in the 80s or early 90s. There was this story about O.J. Simpson and uh, the allegation that he killed his wife. And when the jury reached the verdict that he is not guilty, some of us felt, but it seems this man, you can see even in his face that this guy is guilty. <laughs> but the jury says, not guilty. Amen. That's what happens when you are justified. It means the Lord says, not guilty. And the devil says, but we know she did this. We know. We've got all the proof. She has done this and this and this. She did this and this, this. All those horrible things. And the Lord says, show me. And then the devil goes there, looks around, nothing. Why? Because he's washed away Amen. by the blood of Jesus. Amen. Amen. I told you that when something is washed away, you cannot unwash it. Amen. Amen. If there is a stain here, and you wash it, it's washed. And that's what the blood of Jesus does. Amen. 
cleanses us from all unrighteousness. So today I want us to look closely at this covenant that we have with God. By the way, when I am a covenant partner with God, it means you must think twice before you do anything with me. Because I'm not alone. Amen. Amen. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. That's a covenant term. In other words, there is somebody on my side. So let's go to that Luke chapter 22. We read this one last week. I'll read 14 to 20 in the Amplified Classic because it was the time when Jesus was introducing this Holy Communion and the Passover. I told you that Jesus, as a Jew, he celebrated Passover like all the Jews who were celebrating Passover. But he was also supposed to be the fulfillment of Passover. You remember the scripture I read for you which says, Jesus, our Passover lamb, has been crucified. So, Jesus, when he was planning to celebrate the Passover, it was almost the same time exactly he was going to be also sacrificed as our Passover lamb. So this is summarized in Luke 22, 14 to 20, Amplified Classic. And when the hour came, so it had to be the right time, Jesus reclined at the table and the apostles with him. So, and he said to them, I have earnestly, intensely desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. But now, he wanted to eat this Passover with them before he suffers. But the time he suffers should be coinciding with the Passover. He says, For I say to you, I shall eat it no more until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. So he is the fulfillment of that Passover. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide and distribute it among yourselves. For I say to you that from now on I shall not drink of the fruit of the vine at all until the kingdom of God comes. Then verse 19. Then he took a loaf of bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So he gave us his body. That's why by his stripes we were healed. Amen. When they were wounding him and inflicting pain on him, it was so that he must take away my pain. Amen. It was so that he must take away my sickness. And in like manner, he took also the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the New Testament or covenant ratified in my blood, which is shed or poured out for you. Now, I want us to look at this covenant today, the covenant of love. He says this cup is the new covenant or the new testament. You, did you notice, <laughs> we usually say the Old Testament and the New Testament. So in essence, literally speaking, is the Old Covenant and the, uh, the New, the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. Amen? And the New Covenant has got to have better promises. But I just want to say to you how covenants work. Okay? So the whole issue of covenant was because even countries would be allies. When you hear that countries are allies and they are friends. So somebody has go, is weak on something and strong on something, but the strength of this one is the weakness of the other one. And the weakness of the other one is the strength of the other one. Now it means together they are strong. You cannot defeat them. 
But the surprising thing with the covenant that we have with God is that God did not have any weakness. God did not have any need. God had everything. He was the all-powerful. And we had everything, every weakness, every sin, everything. That's why we don't understand this covenant. Because what is it in God that he had to cut a covenant and, and come and redeem us? It's because he so loved us. Amen? So that word covenant, is, is the root word of that word, it's got the word to cut, which is it's mainly meaning the agreement or the legal agreement or the contractual agreement. But then there was the implication of cutting a cut, like a cut. Because the blood, it was usually ratified in blood. You saw Jesus said, this is the new covenant ratified in my blood. You saw where we read that one. This cup is the new covenant ratified in my blood. So why there had to be a blood? I want to show you. You will see. You will enjoy this because that's why sometimes you would find people who are in covenant, they cannot betray each other. Because if they kill that one, it's as good as they have killed me. Amen? So when you are in covenant, you are saying all that comes against you is coming against me. So now imagine I'm in covenant with God and you want to come against me. <laughs> you will be like Saul. You remember Saul who later became Paul. The Bible says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? That's what the Lord said. When Saul was actually persecuting the church of God, God took it on himself that when you do this to this, you are doing it to me. And I like the words, it will be hard for you to kick against the pricks. Amen? So in other words, Saul thought that he was persecuting Christians, but the Lord says, you are persecuting me. When you come against them, you are coming against me. That's a covenant. Now, I'll pick a few aspects of a covenant so that you can understand and see why our covenant with God is such a great thing. The first thing that they would do in cutting a covenant, they would exchange their coats. Okay? And I will show you in scriptures. So they would exchange their coat. So when you change your coat, they were exchanging identities. Okay, by the way, can I ask you this question? When you guys are driving, those of you who are drivers, how do you know a traffic officer? Do they say, I'm a traffic officer? Huh? Your, your heart starts hitting hard just because of the uniform. It means that uniform is an identity. So imagine if I've got Jesus exchanges his identity with me, his coat with me. Imagine what the devil's heart will be doing when he sees me. Amen? Because now I'm wearing the identity of Christ. It means the devils, when they look at me, <laughs> they think that's, oh, that's Jesus. Amen? Because I've exchanged with him. So I will show you a lot of scriptures where you can see this exchange. Because I'm talking, uh, telling you, the first thing about a covenant, they would exchange identities. In other words, you become all that I am, you become all that you are, I become. Go with me to the book of Second Corinthians. Chapter 5, verse 21. 
and then we will do First Peter two twenty four, and then we'll do Second Corinthians eight nine. Okay, in all those three portions of scriptures, you are going to see an exchange. Tell your neighbor, you are going to see an exchange between me and Jesus. So now when we have exchanged, and I, now I put on the garment of righteousness. Amen? Because I've exchanged with him. So 2 Corinthians 5.21 in the New King James Version it reads, For he made him who knew no sin to be seen for who? For who? So Jesus knew no sin. Jesus did not sin. But he took my sin. That's why on the cross, you remember, before he even went to the cross, I read this and I was re reflecting on this. A lot of people had to say, this man is not guilty. He does not deserve to die. You remember Pilate says, I find no fault in this man for him to die. And the men who were on the cross with him, one on the other side, he said, but this man did nothing to deserve this death. Why? He had to be innocent and took my sin. Because if he had his own sin, then he would have died for his own problems. Amen? So therefore, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for me. Why? Read. That we might become the righteousness of God in him. Amen. You see the exchange? Okay. I was a sinner. I had the sin. He was righteous. He had the righteousness of God. You see that? Now on the cross, he said, I don't want these ones to die for their sins. Let me carry their sin. Let me carry their sin. That's why Jesus said, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because God could not fellowship with sin. But the sin that Jesus was carrying was not his sin. It was yours and mine. That's why we cannot afford to live in sin anymore. Amen? But then when he took my sin, what did he give me? So that I might become the righteousness of God in him. So I become righteous. So when I say I'm righteous, I'm not boasting. I'm just saying who I am in Christ. Amen? Amen? Some of you say, no, we are all sinners. It's done for me. Amen. He took my sin and he gave me his righteousness and exchange. You see that covenant? Let's go to 1 Peter 2.24. You will see another exchange. This one, I, 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 I looked on it, I looked on it. I was just excited in my spirit. You know, sometimes... Some of the things, they come early hours of the morning, around 4 o'clock, and then you, you've got this, and, 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 and you, you really feel excited about this. So then I looked for this. I found in the voice, I liked it in the voice translation. First Peter 2.24, but it's also good in all the other translations. I just like it more in the voice. It says, He took on our sins in his body. So whose sins did he take? So, you see an exchange. He took my sin. When he died on the cross, 
So that we, being dead to sin, should live for righteousness. So I looked at these two words, dead and sin, and the word live and righteousness. Do you see the, the, the opposite? It says, so that we, being dead to sin, might live to righteousness. You see the complete opposite. Eh? So it's death. That's why he has redeemed me from the, 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 the law of sin and death. So it's dead to sin, so that I might live unto righteousness. As the scripture says, through his wounds, we are healed. So, he took my sickness and he gave me divine health. That's why it's not right for the devil to make me suffer sickness after Jesus has carried it. Amen? So, fight for your health. Say, by the stripes of Jesus, I'm healed. Just as much as you fight to say that I am the righteousness of God in Christ and sin does not have dominion over my body. Similarly, sickness has got no dominion over my body. Of course, the devil will try and inflict sickness on your body. Re reject it. And say, I thank God for the complete work on Calvary. The Lord has redeemed me from the curse of the law. Jesus took my sin and he took my sickness. That's why when you look throughout the Bible, you will see many cases where the Bible talks sin, it always links it sin and sickness. You remember the one, Psalms 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Who does what? Who forgives all your sins and heal all your diseases. So if you believe he forgave your sins, you can as well believe that he healed your diseases. That's a package. Amen? So if you say, no, pastor, sometimes you see there are some sicknesses that God is using to teach us. You think there is not enough scriptures to teach you? <laughs> so so the, the, the teaching guides, the teaching aids are finished. Now, now we need some sickness to teach you. Isn't, isn't that what teachers do? Usually they will say they've got teaching guides. and so, if it, so they would even want a certain study guide or a certain teaching method. This is how the Lord rebukes us, through his word. And he cleanses us through his word. The Bible calls the word of God the cleansing of the water by the word. Jesus says, sanctify them through your word. John 17. Your word is the truth. That's what he uses to cleanse me. Not sickness. Amen? So it says, as the scripture says, through his wounds you were healed. So it means if he wanted to reach you through sickness, then you should not have put your sickness on Jesus. Because now it's double jeopardy. By the way, in labor law, we've got a thing called double jeopardy. If, if at your work, just make me a bit wiser. <laughs> if you have a transgression and then you are disciplined for that, they can now do another thing to still discipline you for the same thing. It's double jeopardy. It's already, you've already sanctioned me. Amen? So, if Jesus has carried my sin, if Jesus has carried my sickness, do I still have to carry any of those? Uh-uh. 
But the devil would say, you still have to carry it. The devil will even say to you, Pastor, do you think sickness is real? Sickness is real. Do you think Jesus died for an unreal sickness? He died for the very real sickness you're talking about. I'll show you as we proceed. 2, Peter 8, 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9, NIV. I want to show you another exchange. Because I'm saying in covenant there is an exchange. Now, this is another controversial one. Because there are people who believe that to be close to God you must be poor. Okay, let's go scripture. 2 Corinthians 8, 9. Mr. MJ, maybe you must help me because if I read them all in the pastor's Bible, they will think it's because it's in the pastor's Bible. You know, I think this one of the mainline churches where the Bible only was accessible to the priests of the pastor. So when Martin Luther King ended up finding it out and he found that actually the just shall live by faith, he got a hold of it. So you're not supposed to get hold of it in other places, but you've got it. Amen. Amen? You've got it. So we will not keep some secrets away from you. We tell you everything because it's in your Bible. And go and enjoy it. So 2 Corinthians 8, 9, NIV, Mr. MJ. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich. Okay. Though Jesus was rich. Rich. What happened? Yet for your sake. Ah. For your sake. He wants to change an identity. What did he do for your sake? He became poor. Okay. He became poor so that you must continue to be poor. How did that? That's why I want you to read in your Bibles. So he became poor. Why? So that through his poverty might become rich. Okay. Can we all spell the word rich? R-I-C-H is the opposite of the word poverty. Amen? But pastor, you've got to be realistic. How more real can you be than just agreeing with the master? He says, even though he was rich, for my sake, he became poor because it was an exchange so that I can have access to all the glorious riches. That's why we say, the Lord is my shepherd I shall not want. That's why we say, my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. It means now he has opened for me an avenue for all these glorious riches. So that I can be a partaker of the inheritance of the saints in the light. So there's so much that God has in store for us. I'll show you as we go down. But let me take a second element of what they do when they cut the covenant. They would exchange weapons. So instead of exchanging weapons, then the belts, you know the cowboys. Some of you have seen the movie of the cowboys. They've got belts. And those belts usually hold what? Guns. Okay, so now, when they cut covenant, they would exchange belts, which is a sign of saying we are exchanging weapons. So they were in essence saying, 
your enemy is my enemy. I'll show you in scripture. <laughs> okay, let's go there. Exodus 23:22, Amplified Classic, Mr. MJ. I want, I, want, I want you people to see God is so much covenanted to us that he has decided my enemies become his enemies. So watch out. Mm. Because read. Exodus 23:22, Amplified Classic, Mr. MJ. But if you will indeed listen and obey his voice and all that I speak, mm -hmm. then I will be an enemy to your enemies mm. and an adversary to your adversaries. So he's saying, I'm in covenant with you. There is no way that they can be your enemies and I just watch by. Exchange of weapons. So, let's do it in the NIV. Because I want to pick it to 25 and 26. Again, you will see that exchange continuing. Let's read in the NIV. Uh, Exodus 23, 22. And then I'll link it with 25 and 26. So when he says, I will be an enemy to your enemies. So do you think then I still have business hating my enemies? No, you've got no business hating them. <laughs> because they are making themselves enemies to God. And God will handle it. Amen? So you must just love them. That's why the Bible says, love your enemies and pray for them. Amen? Amen? Love your enemies and pray for them. Don't try and pay revenge yourself. Because the Lord says he will be an enemy to your enemies. Do it in the NIV. If you listen carefully to what he says and do all that I say, I will be an enemy to your enemies. Mm -hmm. And I will oppose those who oppose you. Hey. Imagine being opposed by God. So, better don't oppose me because if you oppose me, what will happen? The Lord will oppose you. That's what he's saying. So, because I'm in covenant with him, you can't do things to me and the Lord just watches. Amen. You remember you, when you were singing here earlier? You are the pillar that... Oh. For me, that song has got a lot of meaning. In Venda, they usually used to have this saying that which means there is no way to make uh, something strong unless it's got a pillar. Amen? Now, if Jesus is the pillar that holds my life, do you think you can destroy my life? If Jesus is the pillar that holds my life, do you think my life can crumble? He is the pillar that holds my life. Amen? He is the pillar that holds my life. I've got confidence in him. Amen. And the good thing with God is, some of you say, but pastor, I've messed up my life, I've done so many bad things and all that, and then the blood comes and cleanses it. Amen. Say, we understand, let's start afresh. It's only God who can give you a chance to start afresh. People don't. People will tell you even the sins you have done 20 years ago. They don't forget. But the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Then go to verse 25 and 26, Mr. MJ. Because I think 
instead of the Lord just being an enemy to my enemy, he realizes that there are other enemies which are not just people, which also have to be opposed. 25 and 26. Worship the Lord your God, and his blessing will be on your food and water. That's what comes to me. Mm -hmm. I will take away sicknesses from among you. Is that not good, guys? Mm. Him taking away, this is one of the verses I confess for myself. I say, I told you that if you want to, don't wait to be sick to talk about healing. Confess it all the time. I've made it at this decision. Every day of my life, I thank God that I'm healed by the stripes of the Lord Jesus. I keep on speaking what God has said so that that word will keep on working in my body. It's like a vaccine. Amen? So it prevents that sickness from coming. So when it says, I will take sickness away from among you, I say, Father, I thank you that you have taken sickness away Sickness is terrible. And it's good that the Lord decides to take it away. We cannot be friends with sickness. Some of you, you nurse your sickness because you want people to feel pity for you. Huh? Because if you don't... <laughs> okay. There's this thing that sometimes people feel people don't take care of you. So, but when you are sick, now you, you get all the attention. I, I rather not have people take care of me. But I can't exchange that for sickness. Mm -mm. Like I once heard somebody saying, okay. <laughs> yeah, I, I hope the, 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 at least I know the person is not here. So the person was just telling me how good it is to be in a private hospital. Like, like Blauberg <laughs> Hospital. You've got your private ward there. You've got your you know, it's, it's looking very nice. It's fine, but, but I thought, I don't have to enjoy that. It's like when people, you know, that there was another time when they were burying somebody with a nice casket. <laughs> and then somebody was seated like this looking, and they said, that person is thinking, will I also get a casket like that? How? Thank God you are alive, man. Yeah. Miss the casket. Yeah. Amen. Because sometimes we, we desire things that, I mean, people don't, you don't enjoy when you are in that casket. Amen. If there's a way to miss it, until the Lord comes, that will be good. Don't say, ah, now I miss on the casket. So it says, I will take sickness away from among you. And none will miscarry or be barren in your land. I will give you a full lifespan. That's God's promises. It's part of him being an enemy to my enemies. Now, if you do Ephesians 6.13, now you will see again, exchange of weapons. You see the exchange of weapons? Now you will read Ephesians 6.13 in the King James Version. Now you will understand it differently from all the other times you understood it. That's a covenant verse. Wherefore, take unto you. Okay, I told you they exchange weapons. So take unto you what? The whole armor of God. 
So in other words, I'm taking God's armor. Take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore. And he tells you all the armor that you must put on. That armor is God's armor. Amen. It cannot be defeated. Amen. So when you take on that armor, you also cannot be defeated. So take on the armor of God so that you will not be defeated. Tell your neighbor, take on the armor of God that you will not be defeated. And when they exchanged weapon, I told you that they were saying, your enemies become my enemies. If they want to kill you, they rather kill me. Now if you read John 15.13 in the Amplified Classic, it says, no one has greater love, no one has shown greater affection than to lay down his own life for his friends. You see again, that's covenant. So Jesus was prepared to lay down his life for me so that I might be in covenant with him. Amen. Now, the other part of the covenant, I told you that Jesus said this is the new covenant in my blood. I told you it's ratified in blood. So what they would do is that they would usually make a cut. And they would make a cut usually if it's between two people, cut here, cut here, and then mingle the blood. You say, Pastor, there's HIV. You better be careful who you get into contact, into, into covenant with. Amen? Because how can you say there's HIV when you say this one is your covenant partner? Okay? So they would mingle the blood like that. The issue was so that it's like when they attack that one, you feel you are being attacked. So your blood flows in their veins. So that's when he lays down even his life for my sake. That's why the Bible says I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless I live, yet not I but Christ lives in me. So again another exchange. When Jesus was crucified, it's as if I was crucified with him. Now when I live, it's as if he's living through me. Amen. So now when they would make that cut, I told you the other time that even the ring was initially a cut. So they would do like a cut here. When two people were getting, and then you mingle the blood. But now you see the problem with this kind of ring. What did I just do now? You see, but imagine if there was a cut. You go everywhere, you go even in America and you try to convince young ladies. Ah, you are already in covenant. You see, but now with this one, I'm free again. The original one is that cut and it becomes a seal. So I told you the other thing about a seal, it was not only, it's not meant to basically expose you to say you are already in covenant, but it's also an issue of saying when you put a seal or a cut, you are actually identifying what is yours. I told you some of us who grew up in rural areas, our mothers, they knew how those, hey, our grannies, they were wise. Because you know, you would find that in a family there are so many hands, so many chicks. And you know how they used to know which one belongs to who? 
Because, I mean, if you say, I've got a white one, a white hand, and the other one is striped. The other, the other one also has got a white hand, the other one stripes, and they are all in the same place. So how are you going to know them? They would seal them. Yeah. They would say, you know mine is sealed on this one. The other one is sealed on the small one. The ones that belong, that one is sealed on that one. Now, don't you think God also, when he wants me not to be mistaken, he seals me? Yeah. <laughs> so, And he says, that's mine. And the Bible says, we have been sealed by the Holy Spirit. Amen. That verse that says sealed by the Holy Spirit. So now God has put his mark of ownership on me. He says, that's mine. Just as much as your parents claim their hands, God claims me as his own. Because I'm in covenant with him. I have been sealed. Can you tell your neighbor, I've been sealed. I belong to God. Amen. 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 I am sealed. I belong to God. Now, the other thing they would do when they were cutting a covenant, and you can see all these things are happening with us and Christ. They would exchange names. Okay? So the one way, the easier one, you know, this one you still do. You know sometimes you would find somebody get married. By the way, some of you don't know my wife's real surname. Why? Covenant. Amen. Covenant. <laughs> Amen. Now, she's taken my... That's covenant. So now, you would sometimes get a double-barreled surnames. That's another illustration to say, these are two families coming together. Amen. So the exchange of names, even with us, do you know when I say you are a Christian? What am I saying? You are a Christian. You've got the name of Christ in you. I just wonder those Christians who say, I'm a Christian, but I'm not born again. How possible is that? What kind of a Christian are you without a Christ? Can you have Christian without a Christ? You've got to have Christ first before we can call you a Christian. Christian. So that's taking his name. I told you when I took his name, I also took his identity. So I told you a traffic officer when they are wearing their uniform... Does it matter the size of a traffic officer? Some traffic officers are short. Some of them are actually shorter than most of you. Mr. Mushagani, some of them are shorter than you, isn't it? <laughs> but even, no matter how short they are, if you're coming with, <laughs> with your car, then they do this. You've got to do that. Even if you're coming with a truck, sometimes you've got code 14. Those ones that don't, turn well and that don't stop well. If he sees, usually they would be they show you from a distance. We want you. Now you've got to change all your gears. Because the traffic officer says stop. He's wearing an identity. And the reason why you are afraid of him is not because of him. It's because of the 
power behind him. So the devil also, when you go there, in the name of Jesus, and he looks at you and see, you look like Christ. <laughs> then he's got to obey. Amen. He's got to obey. Because you are in covenant. Amen. So the other thing they would do in making covenants, let me pick up speed a bit. So they would make promises to each other. Okay? You make promises. That's why even in weddings, we usually pay, make people make vows. Okay? That's a covenant. In other words, you say, I'm saying this, I'm committing myself to this. The other one says, I'm saying this, I'm committing myself to this. Now, if you go to the book of Hebrews, chapter six, chapter 8, verse 6 and 7, and then 2 Peter 1, 4. Hebrews 8, 6 to 7, NIV. It says, but in fact, the ministry Jesus has received is, super, is as superior to theirs as the covenant of which he is a mediator. It's superior to the old one. Since the new covenant is established on better promises. Which means when a covenant is cut, there has to be promises made. So it says, Jesus is the mediator of the new covenant. So when he is a mediator, he stands between me and God. So to God, he is my priest. He takes my things to God as a priest. To me, when he gets the message from God to me, then he becomes an apostle bringing the message to me. So that's why he is a priest and an apostle of our faith. Amen? So in other words, there are things that I want him to take to God, but there are also things that God wants him to take to me. Amen? So it says he's a mediator. He's in between. So imagine Jesus who has already died for you and he's took your sickness. Don't you think he will defend your sickness, your, your, your healing? He says, no, it's not right. I already carried this. I already carried this. This one has to be healed. Amen? It says he's a mediator of the new covenant, which is established on better promises. So there are promises that are made in a covenant. It says, for if there had been nothing wrong with that first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. Now, Second Peter 1.4. Amplified Classic. Second Peter 1.4. Amplified Classic. Again, look at these promises. By means of this, he had bestowed on us his precious and exceedingly great promises. What was he doing? So when he was making promises, because he can't just be in covenant with me and he leaves me as I am. He's got to promise me something. He's got to promise me something. And when he promises it, you know, the other thing with the, uh, the covenant and why blood was shed, because sometimes when you are promised something and you don't know if this person will do exactly what they are saying, because some people sometimes promise you something and they say, I was joking. Just when you get excited, isn't it? They tell you something, they will give you something, and, they, and when you I was joking. Now, in covenant, it doesn't work like that. Blood has to flow. 
to show that you're not joking. Amen. So they had to have blood. And now when the blood of Jesus is shed, do you think God can say I was joking? No. There's a lot at stake here. That's why now 2 Peter 1, 4, Amplified Classic. By means of this, he has bestowed on us his precious and exceedingly great promises, so that through them you might escape by flight from the moral decay, rottenness, and corruption that is in the world because of covetousness, lust, and greed, and become sharers, partakers of the divine nature. So he gives me promises, but he wants me to be a partaker of his nature. So I have to take his identity. I have to take his nature in me. Amen. So let me start winding down. Still have a few more things to tell you, but let's try to begin our descent. Okay? We're flying well, cruising at an altitude. Now we've got to begin our descent. There are times sometimes, especially for Christians, God has, because it says these great promises and exceedingly precious, some of you don't spend enough time looking at the promises. You spend a lot of time listening to what people say more than checking what the promises say. That's why spend time in the word. That's why even when you come to church, I would encourage that when we are sharing these verses, write them down. So that when you go home, you can reflect on them again. Because that's how you make these promises more real in your life. You know, even in South Africa, they would say, people would say, it's my constitutional right. It's my constitutional right. And if it's in the constitution, they would say, I can even go to the constitutional court. You cannot defray me of my rights. So don't you think the great and precious promises that are here, you should say, it's my biblical right to be healed. Is my biblical right to be protected. The Lord has given his angels charge over me to protect me in all my ways. That's knowing your covenant. That's knowing your constitution. The problem with most Christians is that we know more other things than we know the word. In this church, we will teach you what God says and we show you it to you in your Bible. I told you the other time, when it's in your Bible, it's for you. When it's in the pastor's Bible, it's for the pastor. So as long as it's in your Bible, that's not for the pastor, that's for you. Because that's your Bible. Amen. Amen. That's why when you come to church, come with your Bible. Read it from your Bible. Then you can see these great and exceedingly precious promises. The promises are already there. You just need to go and take time to spy the land. You remember what God said to Joshua? He said, Every place that the sole of your foot shall tread, that have I given you. What if you don't tread on the place? It won't be yours. So similarly, there are so many precious promises here. But they only become yours as you tread on them. As you develop yourself in a particular field. That's why you would find even with some of us as men of God, as servants of God. You would find a certain man of God having a breakthrough in a particular area and not in, a, in the other. It's because It doesn't mean because now I'm well established in healing and in long life. Then financially it will be the same way. Then protection wise it will be the same way. No. Every place that the sole of your foot shall tread. That's what he will give you. 
So it means you've got to take time and tread on the promises. Tread on the promises. So when you are going to be studying your, the word, studying the Bible, you're not doing it for the pastor. It's for your sake. So that you can know these precious promises. Now, some people don't know what is their right. Let me give you this example as you go to the book of Luke chapter 15. You remember the two sons, the prodigal son, the one man had from verse, you can start it when he's talking about the prodigal son and that. So this one man, he had two sons. The younger one said to him, divide the inheritance. You see, the younger one at least knew that I've got a portion in my father's things. He says, divide the inheritance and give me my portion. And the father didn't say, no, you don't have a portion. He divided it and gave him his portion. Which means, what was left belonged to who? No. The younger son says, Father, in, your, in what is yours, divide the inheritance. We are two sons. Divide the inheritance and give me my share. So when he was given his share, the other share belonged to who? To the elder brother. Don't you think so? Yeah, this one decided to take his portion when the father was still alive. Mm. So if the father dies, then the portion that's left belongs to the elder brother. Okay? Now, look at this. So he went away, he squandered everything. Like sometimes, sometimes you will feel like the prodigal son. You say, how stupid, how foolish was I? You go out there and really mess it and do all the bad things. And you feel like, will God really accept me? So the younger son, the prodigal son, it came to a point where after he wasted all that the father had given him, he wasted it on riotous living, with prostitution and all the things, and everything was finished. And the Bible says there was a time when he was even trying to get a job just to feed pigs, and he would think that he can get some food from, you know how smelly the food of the pigs are? But he was saying, at least if I could just have some of the food of the pig. But it says even that was not enough for him. And then he said, one time he came to his senses and said, uh -uh. I'm here suffering like this, but my father has got too much with him. At least I can go back, at least being a servant or a worker for my father is better than being here. So I will go to the father and say, I have sinned against you and against God, but just make me one of your servants. He thought, that's better. I don't deserve to be called your child anymore. And as he was going back, what do you think the father was thinking all these years that he was gone? The father was always, probably if he was a prayerful person, he was praying, may you get my son back, Lord. And if maybe he hears about people and somebody says, you work, you know, like in our areas, usually people, our fathers would work in Jobek and all that far. And then you would think, haven't you seen so and so? It, it looks like this. Maybe so that he can come back. Now, imagine the father sees him coming. And he looked from a distance, that looks like my son. And then the son is coming. As the son was coming, the father was already starting to get excited because he could realize that's my son. 
The Bible says when he came, before he finished the statement, he was saying, I've sinned before you and before God. I'm not worthy to be called your child. Read it in your Bible. He did not finish to say, make me one of your servants. Okay? The father quickly said, I'm happy that my son is back. That's how God rejoices when you come back. He does not look and say, but you wasted everything. No, he is happy that at least you have come to your senses and you are back home. So any of you who thought that God was angry with you, read that story. So now, when he came back, the father says, we are going to celebrate. Now he slaughtered the fattest calf for him. Now the elder brother was not around. When the elder brother was coming here, there is a party. Like there is great joy in heaven when one sinner repents. So there was a great party. Probably it's the party that he never heard of. Okay? And if he, hasn't, he has never seen his daddy dancing, now this day you are seeing daddy dancing. and The father is back. The, the son is back. Now, read. Verse 29 to 31. But he said to his father, For years I have worked for you like a slave and have always obeyed you. That's in the contemporary English version. So he says, for years I've worked for you like a slave and always obeyed you. So now can I ask you a question? When you work for your father or your mother, do you work like a slave? Do you work to get paid? Uh -uh. You just become a blessing to your parents. Isn't it? So he says, I've worked for you like a slave. So he had a different mentality. And says, but you have never even given me a little goat so that I could give a dinner to my friends. This other son of yours wasted your money on prostitutes and now that he has come home, you ordered the best calf to be killed for him for a feast. His father replied, my son, you are always with me and everything I have is mine. Read your Bible. My son, you are always with me. I can do with my own things the way I want. You can't question me. He says, my son, you are always with me. Everything I have is yours. So now imagine you are that son and now you realize, ah, all these things were mine. I could have feasted a lot, man. I could have had a lot of parties. That's what's happening with some Christians. You don't know that it's yours already. It's yours already. Tell your neighbor, it's yours already. All that the Father has is yours. Amen. Because here I'm reminded there was this story. They say there was this guy who was a poor man. That's the problem with ignorance. Because Hosea 4, 6 says, my people are perishing for lack of knowledge. Okay? You will live like, in Ecclesiastes, it says, it says I've seen princes walking like slaves, like servants. While, while uh, uh, slaves, servants were riding on horses. And then the preacher was surprised. This is surprising. But that's what lack of knowledge does. If you don't know, if you don't study to show yourself approved unto God, if you don't diligently check what the scriptures say, 
you will suffer unnecessarily. So when he says, my son, all that I have is yours. Now I'm reminded there was this story I think I shared with some of you. They said there was this poor man. He was very, very, very poor. And he always had a dream or a, a wish in life that if I could go overseas. You know that some of you even say, I haven't even boarded a flight. So at least I've never been out of South Africa. If I could just go overseas. But he knew he doesn't have money. So it's just a dream. They say one time somebody blessed him with a ticket for a trip to overseas. You see now the dream coming true? But this guy now had one problem. He thought, I've got a ticket, but I must provide for my own food. So two weeks before the, the voyage, they were going to go on ship. He started all his bread, he was drying it. The, the few crumbs that he has, he was making them dry so that at least he could use it for the two weeks of the journey in the ship. Okay? So, now when they started taking that journey, every time when it was lunchtime, guess where he used to go, this guy? He would go as if he's going to the toilet. Because how can you show people the crumbs you are eating? Because he would feel ashamed, isn't it? So he would always go as if he's going to the toilet and get his crumbs. And others are dining there. Go as if he's going to the toilet, get his crumbs. Now, just when it was about a day to go, one of the guys realized, I am man, it's something strange. This particular guy, every time we go to eat, he does not come to eat with us. Then he took courage, and now he asked him, hey, just tell me, I'm not here to embarrass you, but just tell me, every time we go to dine, you always go away. What's the problem? He said, my brother, you know, I'm so poor that I feel ashamed. I can't expose the kind of food that I eat when the rest of you are eating. And that guy said, which food now? He said, no. Isn't it all of you came with your own food, nice food and all that? That guy said, do you have a ticket? Yes, I've got a ticket for this journey. But the ticket includes the food. And then it means all this time you were feeding on crumbs when you could have been dining with the rest of the people. That's what lack of knowledge does. So he thought that the others were dining because they had added something. You know, sometimes you must ask. Because some of you, when they are offering the food, even in the flight, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. But maybe start ask ask them first. Is it included in the ticket? Because if it's included, maybe you must dine. Because now you're just saying, uh, no, no, I'm I'm, I'm fine. I'm satisfied. Uh, now. Amen. So that's the problem with lack of knowledge. So the covenant, we've got to take the rights of our covenant. So I want to land it with this just. I don't think I'll have enough time to conclude this story, but I'll try to go with it fast so that I can still finish on time and give time for the announcements. We've got one type announcement that may take a bit long. Just want to show you an example of a covenant that was cut between David and Jonathan. 
and how that covenant benefited the son of Jonathan. And in a covenant, you get things not because of what you have done. It's like the things that we get from the Lord. You just have to be a child of God, and then you are, you've got free access now to God's promises. So 1 Samuel 18, 3 and 4, NIV. So I think this one, I, I may not finish this story, but we'll pick it up next time because we're talking covenant. And I think the announcement that Vome will get also will relate to covenant, so there's no problem. We can continue this next week. So, 1 Samuel 18, 3 and 4, NIV, it says, And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan, now, I told you what do they do with covenant. Jonathan took off the robe. So what was he doing? He was wearing and gave it to David. Do you see the exchange of, 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 of coat? So he took his coat and gave it to David. Along with his tunic, even his, even his sword, his bow, and his belt. You see the things I was telling you there, there in scriptures? Isn't this what I told you in the beginning? What they were cutting covenant. So he took his robe, which represents his identity, and he gave it to David. But he also took his sword, his bow, and his belt, and gave them to David. So he was in essence saying, I'm in covenant with you. Your enemies have become my enemies. I will always be by your side. Now, 2 Samuel 9, 1-13 We'll not finish this one now. Sometimes later after Jonathan was dead, David still remembered, I have a covenant with Jonathan. I don't think I've done enough to please Jonathan. I don't think I've done enough for my covenant partner. Now David asked, it's 2 Samuel 9, 1 to 13 NIV. David asked, is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. They summoned him to appear before David and king said to him, Are you Ziba? At your service, he replied. I like people like Ziba, man. <laughs> when the pastor talks, we say, Pastor, at your service. At your service. Imagine your parents are calling you, they want to, to send you at your service. The parents will enjoy that. So he says, at your service, he replied. The king asked, is there no one still alive of the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? Ziba answered the king, there is still a son of Jonathan. He is lame in both feet. <laughs> so you know what, Ziba? I don't know. I'm just thinking. Ziba is thinking, I mean, if somebody, the question was, is there any relative of Saul who is the son of Jonathan that I can show kindness? The answer was supposed to be, yes, there is Mephibosheth. That's the answer, isn't it? But why do you think Ziba says, there is a son, he said, he is, 
ways. Where are we? Verse Ziba answered. There is still a son of Jonathan. He is lame in both feet. What does being lame in both feet have to do being with, with being a son of Jonathan? Nothing. Isn't it? Now, he, he, he goes further. David had, uh, had him brought. No. Verse 4. Where is he? The king asked. Ziba answered. He is at the house of Makir, son of Amiel, in Lodebar. So the king had him brought from Lodebar, from the house of Makir, son of Amiel. When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. David said, Mephibosheth, at your service. I like this. At your service. Children, when your parents call you, blessing, at your service. And I would wish even here in church when I call you, say, Pastor, at your service. <laughs> Sounds nice. He replied. Then David said, don't be afraid. David said, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. David didn't say, but you are lame. How will I help you? He says, for the sake of your father, Jonathan, I'm going to show you kindness. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather Saul. And you will always eat at my table. You see, you see, you see covenant. You see promotion. I mean, this guy, probably Ziba was thinking, I'm not lame. Why, why, why don't you just get me in there? King, why don't you just get me in there? Uh-uh. You may not be lame. But we've got no covenant with you. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. The covenant is with Jonathan. So now he says, you will eat at my table. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, what is your servant? What should, uh, that you should notice a dead dog like me? You see, this is how God dealt with us. Where sometimes you felt like you are unworthy. Why would it be that God would just really be so much caring for me? Me. A person like me. Yes, you. A person like you. Then the king summoned Ziba, Saul's steward, and said to him, I've given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him and bring in the crops so that your master's grandson may be provided for. So he's eating there, but then people must serve him. Why? Covenant. So now, look at this. And Mephibosheth, grandson of your master, will always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. How many people must now serve? 15 sons, 20 servants, plus Ziba. All to serve Mephibosheth. Go and do for Mephibosheth. He's in covenant because his father was in covenant with David. Then Ziba said to the king, your servant will do whatever my lord the king commands his servants to do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. So that's what we should be doing. We should be dining at the king's table because of this covenant. And by the way, do you know when he said, Ziba, you will have to serve him. Don't you know that God did the same thing, didn't you, you know, let's conclude. Let's end with this one. Hebrews 1, 13 and 14. 
Now you will see what God did for me. That was Mephibosheth, David doing it for Mephibosheth. And he says, Ziba, you will have to serve him. But for me, I'm also in covenant with God. What is in there for me, Lord? But to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool? Are they not ministering spirits sent forth to minister to those who will inherit salvation? You see that angels, what are angels meant to do? They are meant to minister to me. Can you all point at me and say the angels are meant to minister to him? <laughs> but this one doesn't say to minister to the pastor. It says to minister to who? To those who will inherit salvation. So are you saved? Are you saved? So the angels will minister to you because of this covenant. So that's why he has given his angels charge over me. To protect me in all my ways. Amen. They serve me. Like Mephibosheth was served by Ziba and his people. Let's stand up and thank God for the word that we've heard. Amen. They serve me. Like Mephibosheth was served by Ziba and his people. Let's stand up and thank God for the word that we've heard.